Hey everyone, welcome to TaxCast with Chelsea, where I give you a small dose of interesting tax news and answer commonly asked tax questions. Today, I wanted to focus on these two main topics. First, if you're relying on the traditional media to warn you of the upcoming tax changes, then you may miss out on some tax planning opportunities. The U.S.'s historically low tax rates are set to sunset at the end of 2025. And I make the case for why right now may be the best time to pay taxes. And I'll share some tips on how to take tax strategy into your own hands. Also, the IRS has added some online tools and updates to their system for better user experience. I wanted to briefly update you on what those tools are and what you can accomplish online and how to navigate the new tools. All right, so a frequent conversation that I'm having this tax season is how to take advantage of the current tax rates, which were passed under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, also known as TCJA, back in December of 2017. Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was effective for 2018 through 2025. And at this point, most tax professionals and wealth advisors agree that tax rates will be going up after 2025 when they expire. So this would be effective for the 2026 tax year. Always the caveat is the fact that we do not know what the future holds, but we can make educated guesses. Just look at the economic climate of inflation, the increased congressional spending. We've got solvency issues with legacy entitlement benefits like Social Security, Medicare, and the fact that the current tax rates that we've seen have been the lowest in U.S. history. So working under those premises, we can assume that unless Congress addresses the issues that I listed above, we can assume that they won't be doing that and that tax rates will have to go up because they'll have no other option except to increase uh, revenue for the federal government. So what happens right now if Congress chooses not to renew TCJA? Then the tax law will sunset back to the old 2017 tax rates, which would be adjusted for inflation. I know it's hard to remember what you ate last night, let alone remember how much taxes you paid back in 2017. The main provisions that I believe that will impact most taxpayers is the fact that the tax brackets will increase, the the child tax credits will lower along with their phase-out limits, and the return of itemizing plus getting those personal exemptions on your tax return, especially if you own a home. Here is a simple tax example that I think most working families identify with. Both spouses are working and have a child. They own their own home and they receive W-2 wages. To keep it simple for this podcast, I'm not going to go into the detail of all the tax law changes and what will change after TCJA, uh, but I wanted to give you a comparison with a few examples of how this impacts most people. So in my examples, I created the analysis in actual tax software from 2017 and my 2022 tax software. But remember that after inflation, these amounts for exemptions and tax brackets might change a little. But regardless, my hope is that I can paint a good picture of what tax changes you can expect for a typical working family. So let me break this down with my first example. And again, I wanna keep it very, very simple. You have a married filing joint return. You have a seven-year-old child, so one child. And you have two W-2s and just a little bit of interest for a combined total income of $175,200. So two salaries, a little bit of interest, one child, $175,200. The total income, remember, is before any deductions. So I also made the itemized deduction for 2017 match the 22 example for the standard deduction, which is $25,900 for 2022. 
So that matches. Remember that the 2017 example, when I give you the tax comparison, also has the additional $12,150 for those three personal exemptions that that the family gets. So how do they compare? In my 2017 example, the total tax liability for that family, um, and this is just federal income tax liability, is $25,765. In the 22 example, the total tax liability is $22,080. So taxes are higher in 2017 for this family by $3,685. So why is there such a difference? I use this example again because it focuses on the major impact of the TCJA for most people, which is more people got the child tax credits and the tax rates were lowered. So in this 2017 example that I mentioned, the child tax credit actually phases out uh, because under the old law, the child tax credit started to phase out after $110,000 married filing jointly, whereas under TCJA, the phase out is actually starts at $400,000. So that's almost $300,000 of extra income to earn for people, for a family to get uh, the child tax credit. Also under old tax law, the child tax credit was only $1,000, whereas under TCJA, it's $2,000 per child under age 17. So you literally can say that more people qualified under the TCJA um, for this tax credit or tax credit. And in this example, the 2022 tax situation got the $2,000 of child tax credits, whereas the 17 uh, family did not. In regards to tax bracket changes, the top tier taxable income in the 2017 situation is 25%. While the 2022 situation, the top income tax bracket is 22%. So what does this mean exactly? It means that under the old tax law, $61,248 were sitting in the 25% tax bracket. In the 22 tax situation, only $65,750 were in the 22% tax bracket. So literally tax savings here is a result of just the reduction in tax rates. And for simplification purposes, I don't want to really read you all the the tax bracket changes. You can look up those for yourself. Um, There's a lot of good material online for that. So in the second example, I wanted to do a single person just making a $75,000 W-2 each year and no kids. How does their tax situation fare? In 2017, they will get, they or they owe $11,895 in tax liability. In 2022, their tax liability all else being equal, is 9274 So this difference is almost $2,600. And again, this is just a result of lowering the tax rates. Okay, so we can probably all agree now that when the tax law does expire or sunsets, if they do nothing, that the majority of Americans will actually be paying more in taxes. Is there anything that we can do over the next three years to prepare for this tax law change? assuming it will change, and take of the take advantage of the lower tax brackets right now. I think so, and I wanted to give you a couple of reasons and things to consider implementing if I were advising you. And of course, recommend you evaluate these tax impacts with your tax advisor because everybody's situation is different. Put money, uh, one of the first things that I think 
most people should do is take a look at their tax brackets and look if your employer has a 401k Roth as well as their t- typical uh, tax deferred 401k. Um, I highly recommend stop doing a tax deferred retirement um, contribution and going ahead and doing the Roth instead. I had a client the other day who was in the 12% tax bracket based on his tw- W-2 wages. His average tax rate was less than 10% because he was contributing the majority of his retirement into that deferred 401k and he was maxing out the traditional 401k. After I explained the tax changes coming, he immediately agreed it was time to switch to maximizing his Roth that he was offered at work instead, especially knowing he had non-qualified retirement accounts. And then he also you know, discussed with me that he would be potentially inheriting tax-deferred money from his parents. Also, depending on your income and if you like to save money, you might actually be able to qualify and put money in a separate Roth IRA. Remember that Roth IRAs are subject to income limitations, so review the rules first before you just assume you qualify. Maybe you can take some of your traditional IRAs and convert them to a Roth. They typically call this a Roth conversion. You don't have to be working to do this, and you are choosing to pay the taxes now. Again, taking advantage of these low tax rates. If you are retired and haven't taken Social Security yet, then this might actually be a really great option. There are so many planning scenarios you can run to find your maximum or your optimal tax percentage, and then review this in comparison with your estate planning and your wealth advisor, who's also looking down the road on what to expect on your income at retirement and then possibly cash flow that you need at that time. I think most people want to keep their average tax rate at around 15 to 18%, assuming that again, that tax rates will be going up after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act sunsets. They also assume that at retirement, most people like to keep a very comfortable lifestyle. So they're also hedging that tax rates will be in a higher tax bracket at that time. There is no one size fits all uh, when you find your tax solution and it does require some strategy and also a willful acceptance that it's okay to pay taxes now at these historically low rates. All right, now that the IRS has a new acting commissioner, Daniel Warfell, we are now welcoming in the new era of IRS spending and transformation. Well, sort of. Spending for sure, but positive transformation will be determined over the next few years as priorities take shape. All else being equal, here's a quick reminder on what you can do now within the IRS system. First, you can make payments and set up installment agreements online. Not only can you pay for your current year taxes online, but you can also pay for estimated taxes and set up payment plans on the IRS's website. While most tax software and tax preparers can offer to do this for you in their software, I recommend not putting the responsibility of timely payment for your taxes in someone else's hands, especially when you can make that payment directly to the source and download a copy of the payment confirmation. This is also true for state tax payments, which usually can be made at the state's Department of Revenue website. Regarding payment plans, also known as installment agreements, those are easier to set up at the federal level. So if you're having to choose between paying your federal or your state taxes, our firm typically recommends paying off the state liability first and then setting up an installment agreement with the IRS. The link to do this is included in the show notes today uh, from today's podcast. Remember, your specific tax situation will determine which payment options are available to you on the IRS's website. So if you're looking for a longer term payment plan, which the IRS considers greater than 180 days, 
then you can set this up online and qualify. Typically, they want to see your income tax that's owed less than $50,000, and that's with combined tax penalties and interest on on the return installment agreement that you're setting up. In my opinion, anything larger than $50,000 should be dealt with under the guidance of a tax attorney uh, so that you can understand and that they understand the tax assessment, maybe set up an offer and compromise and review your situation in its entirety. Large tax bills typically have to do with multi-year tax issues or even trust fund recovery penalties from the IRS. If you don't know what trust fund recovery penalties are, um, it has to do with people who don't pay their Social Security Medicare taxes, typically on self-employment returns. Additionally, the IRS has improved the way you can navigate accessing your information online. You can set up your online account with the IRS. It's pretty simple, and now they use ID.me to validate your information when you're setting that up. The type of information that can be accessed online includes your tax records, like digital copies of certain notices that the IRS has sent you, or key data from recently filed tax returns, your transcripts, etc. You can also view balances on taxes owed and make payments using your ID. Also, you can view your tax pro authorizations and approve an electronically sign up POA to give permission to a tax pro, and then they can um, work with the IRS on your behalf. Also, last month, the IRS rolled out a new document upload tool to e-collect information from taxpayers who've received requests on more information concerning. There's about nine notices that you can upload this information on. I listed in the show notes how and where to use the tool, but it's mainly used for information CP requests. I will say that the tool specifically does not accept CP2000 responses. The CP2000 notices are the notices that the IRS thinks you underreported your income based on info that they have and that you did not report. And when they send these notices, you can either agree, sign, and pay the tax, or you can disagree and respond accordingly with your support. So that is one disadvantage that the document upload tool does not let you easily address the CP2000 notices. Thanks again for listening to today's podcast. You can find today's links in the show notes below. If you like this podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you hit subscribe and add a five-star rating so that other people can find and listen as well. Feel free to connect with me and let me know your ideas for a future tax cast.